baptism of the Lord Sunday always comes so abruptly. I don't know about you, but it gives me Christmas whiplash. Because less than a month ago, we were celebrating Christmas. And last week, Jesus was a toddler with these three strange wise men with rich, ornate gifts, priceless gifts, appearing at his house because they followed the GPS star navigation system somewhere from the east. And now today, Jesus is grown up. He is an adult, and he's standing in line to be baptized by the Jordan River. But I love this about this quick transition from epiphany to baptism because this transition reminds us the Gospels are not the chronological, biographical account of the life and ministry of Jesus. They are inspired stories that always are pointing to something greater at work in the world. A God who is ever and always showing up just when we need this God to show up coming alongside just in time. And all of the gospel writers seek to describe this showing up and coming alongside of God in their own distinct ways. And today we start this grown-up journey with Jesus as he understands and lives into the identity of Emmanuel, God with us as he wades into the water of the Jordan River. This is one of the few stories in all four Gospels that they share, which tells us how important it was to the early church to have Jesus be baptized, just like everyone else on that riverbank, just like everyone in their communities. But the specific details vary with each gospel presentation, which also tells us that each community understood what this baptism means in a different way. For Luke, Jesus is simply standing in line with others, patiently waiting his turn to be baptized by John. There's no special ritual that happens to separate Jesus' baptism from everyone else's like Mark and John describe it. And there's no discussion or debate between Jesus and John about who should baptize whom, as Matthew tells it. No, for Luke, the Savior is in line with everyone else who need to experience that God is on their side. Jesus is standing with people who are yearning for someone to lead them through the sufferings and challenges of life. This is not a yearning that is new to human history, especially when nations are at war, governments are still shut down, economies are in flux, and the reservoirs of trust and confidence in political leaders are very low. So it's no wonder that John needed to speak to that yearning for the intimate indwelling of God and clarify what his vocation was and also what it was not. 
because people who are desperate for a leader will see what they need in people who are willing to take stands and be loud and bold and make declarative statements. And John did all of that very well, if we remember him from Advent. John describes his work as preparation for one more powerful than him who is coming to bring completion of baptism with spirit and with fire. So in other words, John's task is to get the people ready with water for Jesus to come and turn them into spirit-born people. And to illustrate this process, to show them how this can work, John takes this common agricultural illustration used all over the Psalms and in other places in the Hebrew Scripture, as well as lived experiences of many on that riverbank. John talks about this process of threshing and winnowing grain in order to get wheat saved for future use and discarding the unusable chaff, the straw, the husks, the dust, the fluff, the things that don't contribute any value the way wheat does. And the winnowing process involved farmers using a large fork-like shovel to toss portions of grain up into the air and then to let the wind do most of the work of separating wheat from chaff. The wind actually takes control of the process. So then the wheat is able to be safely stored and the husks and straw collected, swept up, and burned. John is saying the coming baptism by the Messiah is like this, a winnowing process that shakes and separates out what hinders an object from achieving its greatest potential. Jesus holds the shovel, but the Spirit does the work. Baptism comes through water and the fire of the Holy Spirit. And it's the fire of the Holy Spirit that only Jesus can bring about in our hearts. As Herb said on Tuesday at Free For All, just getting wet doesn't do anything. You're just wet. Baptism's effects, then, start inside and work their way out. Though often the church has reversed that process, saying baptism is an external thing that happens to us instead of something that happens within us. This is why this baptism of water and the Holy Spirit's fire is so important. That the baptism Jesus inaugurates is one of a cleansing spiritual fire, an internal transformation that can only be described as the complete renewal of our inner landscape. And this renewal doesn't happen without some heat. To take another illustration from the natural world, consider the process of inner renewal by fire to be like the seeds of the jack pine. After a forest fire, a pine cone that has been dormant for years responds to the intense heat and opens its hard, rough exterior. 
planting the seeds that will bring forth new life, new vegetation. So the dreaded fire that destroys so much around it actually is the process for renewal. The seeds only come out in response to the heat and the flames. And these flames are in turn fed by an open, free-flowing of air around it. There has to be some openness and some space for this heat and the flame to grow. So the seeds of new life that God plants in each of us don't come to life without first being water-washed and spirit-born in baptism which opens us up from the inside out towards repentance and forgiveness so we can receive the grace of a life transformed and a heart set on fire by the Spirit. If I've learned anything since my baptism, my 14th birthday, September 24th, 2000, it's that baptism is so much more than a personal, private thing between me and God. It is a powerful, bonding experience after which nothing is the same. Because in baptism, we understand that we now belong to something so much greater than ourselves, a new community engaged with God for the transformation of the world. Baptism is the beginning of the rest of our lives as people soaked by the Spirit who sets our hearts on fire for nothing less than being a people refined and prepared for sharing new life and community in Christ. Today in churches all over the world, people are still being baptized still responding to that pull to be part of something greater, still being washed in the living waters, still thirsting for God's grace and a word of forgiveness and new life, still waiting to be included, to find their place in the story of healing and salvation, still longing for their chance to start over. And just like the crowds coming out into the wilderness so long ago, Jesus is right there in their midst. Making the space for still today all around the world a voice to break forth from the heavens, saying, you are my child, my beloved. I am so proud of you. These words may come from heaven, but they do not come out of the blue. For they echo God's words from Isaiah. Do not fear. I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. You are precious in my sight and honored. And I love you. God remembers us, Isaiah says. And more than remembers us, God reassures us. I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands, says the Lord. God's love didn't start yesterday. 
or in the New Testament. It is ancient, before time. It is from of old, and it is focused on each and every one of us by name. We belong to God, and God loves us. It's as if God is trying to say to each one of us, no matter what happens, and no matter how low or discouraged you may feel, no matter what is happening around you or in your life, don't you ever let anyone tell you you are anything but a precious and beloved child of God. I'm going to say that again. Don't you ever let anyone tell you you are anything less than a beloved and precious child of God. How might our lives change if we truly understood ourselves in that way, sustained ourselves in the knowledge that God claims us, will always claim us, and is proud of us? How might our understanding of church change if we thought of ourselves like that, as providence like that? Imagine what God could do with us and through us if we trusted that we are accepted, and more than accepted, loved. There is so much power in claiming that we are beloved. And once we claim it, there is nothing that can ever take that away from us. Today we remember that Jesus took that plunge right along with us and does not send us anywhere that he has not gone first himself. And so in this season of epiphany, the season of surprising revelations and the sparks of new life, believe the good news that Jesus comes into our world with the agenda of solidarity, prayer, and is standing in line right behind you, whispering in your ear, you are my beloved. May we each allow ourselves to be filled with that expectation, that listening ear for the hope that is in us so that the whole world will experience that same love that will never be taken away. Amen.